0: I direct the Navigators Campus Ministry here at OSU, um, bringing on four new um, young staff members with us this year, uh, all four of whom go to this church. So if you have not met Sean, Jim, and his lovely wife, Sarah, um, or Audrey and Evan McDonald, or Anastasia Smith, who are all coming on staff with us, make sure you meet them. They're all great. Really excited to, uh, to work with them on campus this year. Um, And before we get into Psalm 27 this morning, I just, I want to let you guys know, I really consider it an honor to be able to do this, to be able to um, be trusted with the word. Um, And Doug's absence today, um, yeah, I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you guys. Um, So thanks for letting me do do this. Um, I'm a dad, so I like dad jokes. I liked dad jokes before I was a dad. and one of my favorite dad jokes goes like this. Uh, how do you drown a hipster? Thank you. <laughs> Tough crowd. Uh, you, uh, how do you drown a hipster? You throw him into the mainstream. Thank you. Thanks. My notes say wait for them to stop laughing. Um, there it is. Uh, well, I was thinking about that joke the other day. Uh, actually, I was playing disc golf with with Sean, and I, and I told him that joke, and he was like, that wasn't funny. And then, um, but then I was thinking about it, and uh, I've been working a lot trying to make a plan for how our ministry, for how the Navigators will function and, Lord willing, even grow um, during this fall, uh, despite, you know, coronavirus and everything. The you know, students aren't on campus. We're gonna have to do everything online. And I've been trying to make a plan, um, and I had this really scary thought. How do you drown a ministry? You throw it onto a live stream. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that was funnier, right? Thank you. Um, now, I, I'm kidding to a degree. I'm kidding a little bit. Um, I, I don't actually see the branch. Don't worry, I don't see the branch or the Navigators um, drowning in this season. Uh, but I, I do think it's fair to say that all ministries, all churches, all people, right, all of us, um, are at least in like a a mild state of confusion right now or maybe even distress. Um, And as I personally have tried to make plans for the future and really haven't gotten very far, uh, I came to the realization that my biggest obstacle um, is me. Because when I sit down and I try to answer these questions of what will we do, or how will we do it, or will we be successful? Uh, I'm not necessarily asking the wrong questions, but my confidence, or really my lack thereof, if I'm being honest, um, to answer those questions correctly is coming from the wrong place. I'm drawing my confidence from the wrong place. Uh, And I, I think this text we'll look at today, Psalm 27, helps us to ponder this question honestly. Is my confidence for the future found in myself Or is my confidence for the future found in the Lord? Um, When we go through this psalm and we really think about it or or meditate on it, uh, it's one of the many psalms uh, that can kind of expose us, or expose me at least, um, for our our general lack of deep faith and trust in God. If you're wondering what I mean by that, lack of of deep faith or trust, uh, I'm talking specifically about when we get into difficult circumstances when we're faced with something that scares us or we have an uncertainty that seems too difficult to bear. A lot of times we find in ourselves a tendency to talk about trusting the Lord, to tell people, yeah, I'm just trusting God with that. Um, but when we look back and we, in our final analysis, a lot of times what we actually do is we step out into our own power and our own strength or our own wisdom and we try to effect some sort of change to the situation apart from our reliance on God. And why do we do that? Um, well, it's usually because we're afraid, right? We're, we're usually panicked. And we also have to acknowledge that we, um, when I say we, I'm referring to Christians, born-again Christians. Uh, we are all merely practicing Christians, like to use that term with our students, we're, we're practicing, like like physicians practice medicine, we're practicing Christians. Uh, and, and we have, right now, we have an earthly, imperfect, not fully sanctified, uh, tendency to worry instead of to trust, that's our reality. So I often talk about trusting the Lord, uh, but when it comes to really waiting on him, prayerfully and patiently, uh, it's find a lot of times I'm actually not very good at that. Um, I'll, just, I'll confess my own insufficiencies in that area. I, I find it difficult to wait on God. Uh, and if you don't believe me, you can just ask my wife because um, she is in on those conversations. And uh, I, I find it difficult to pray about something and then just submit to God's timing for the answer. That's difficult. Um, and, and a lot of times I have a problem with God's answer even when it does come. Um, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm wishing that God would have done something differently, that his, his plan for me would have been different. And so then I become really good at giving God advice, all right, and maybe you've done that before too. And, and then when God doesn't take my advice and he doesn't consider my wisdom to be, you know, the highest form of intellect, higher than his, uh, and he chooses to go a different route with my life, uh, I find myself getting kind of frustrated, And the temptation then for me is is how this ends up working out uh, is that I just sort of jettison any plan that God had for me, and I just work it out on my own, or at least that's what I think I'm doing. I I come up, I make a plan with what's going to be best, and then I try to execute it. Uh, And this psalm, Psalm 27, I think is all about waiting on the Lord. It's all about putting our trust in God and continuing to wait in Him, uh, even when the waiting is hard. And a lot of times the waiting is hard, right? You guys know this. It's it's hard right now to wait out this pandemic, right? It feels like we've been waiting now for uh, five months, at least, something like that, and who knows how long. Um, it's hard. It's hard to wait for clarification on your career. A lot of you guys are students. Um, What are you going to do with your life that's hard to wait to know what that's going to be like and and it's hard uh to wait for a spouse it's hard to wait for a family this morning we're going to see some important elements of of what it means to put our confidence in god as we wait and we're going to learn a little bit from the life of david the the writer of this psalm and why he was able to put his confidence in God. And we're gonna examine how some of the difficulties in his life actually motivated him um, and, and became the impetus for him to trust in God in a greater way. Um, so here we go, Psalm 27. This psalm begins by saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And then David asked this question, whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my strong, is the stronghold of my life Of whom shall I be afraid? So, in this first verse, David uses three descriptive words to describe the Lord in his life. He calls the Lord his light, his salvation, and his stronghold. And then he asks these rhetorical questions Whom shall I fear? Or of whom shall I be afraid? I want you to think about those three words The Lord is my light. What could he mean by that? Um, The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. What's he referring to when he says that? Well, the light's kind of obvious, right? Light is that which illuminates. That's what light does. And in David's context here, God is his light when he's going through a dark time. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'm going through a season of darkness, it just feels like everything is darkness. Um, In fact, I call it the dark places. And it just feels inescapable. It feels like the darkness is overwhelming me. And in those dark places, I, I can't see where I'm going. I can't see what's ahead of me. And it's hard to remember where I came from um, because the darkness has just seemed to surround me. And so in those moments, eventually, it becomes really clear that this light this light that only God can bring is something that we totally need and David's saying in the midst of this darkness God you are my light that's the statement he's making here in the midst of all of these things that have become gray and when it becomes hard to make things out and to see one thing from another you God are that which illuminates you are that which gives me perspective and then he says you're my salvation you and I most likely primarily think of salvation as the forgiveness of sins, uh, and that's, that's a good thing. Um, if that's what your mind goes to when I say salvation, I'm happy about that. Uh, but in the Old Testament, in David's context here, salvation is a word that primarily means deliverance, uh, to be delivered from something or out of something. And so when David says, the Lord is my salvation, he's saying, the Lord is my deliverer. Uh, he's the one who's able to deliver me out of this trouble that I'm in. So David says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is illuminating my path, and he will deliver me. And then this third describing word, the Lord is my stronghold. Uh, What's a stronghold? It's It's a place of defense, right? It's a place of safety. It's a fortified place that you can retreat to. It's a place where you can be safe when the enemy is attacking you and, and when the enemy is hurling everything that he has in your direction. Um, and there's times in your life where you feel exactly like that, right? Like, like the enemy's just throwing his whole arsenal of difficulties and conflict in your direction. And here David reminds himself that in those moments and always, the Lord, not himself, the Lord is his stronghold. Um, so if we could summarize just this first verse, I want you to see here that David is beginning this entire psalm with what I'm calling an assertion of faith. Um, an assertion of faith. And, and these are something, these assertions of faith, I think that are key uh, to David's life and his trust in God. If you spent some time in the psalms or even just what we've done in church this summer, um, you will know that David doesn't always express faith through the entirety of a psalm. Right? There's usually a pattern. Um, sometimes he'll come out and like, he's acting like he really knows what's up, like he's got it dialed in. And then you realize by the middle of the psalm that he's actually pretty scared. He's pretty freaked out. Uh, and he begins to say things to God like, God, if you don't help me, I'm a dead man. Right? I'm done for. Uh, and, you, and you see that in the psalm. So, but, but David um, also had a system to bolster his faith. What David would do is he would remind himself of the goodness of the Lord. Um, He would remind his soul. He would speak to his soul. He would say things like, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Uh, He would speak the the truths and the promises of God to himself, almost like a spiritual pep talk. Uh, In the NAVs, we call this preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Uh, This is something that Uh, I think Jerry Bridges coined the term initially. That's where I heard it first and then read it in his book, um, The Gospel for Real Life. Um, But it's great advice. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Preach the truth about God to yourself daily. Remember who he is and what he's done for you. Um, And I think this is what David did. So let's look at verse 2. Here David goes on to write, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. So there's another assertion of faith, right? He's, he's already made the point in verse 1 that God is the one who delivers him. And he says here, his assailants, sort on the contrary, will stumble and fall. He will be delivered. They will stumble and fall. They'll fail. Um, verse 3 says, though an, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So again, I'm just going to pause here and ask, do you think David always felt that way? You know he didn't, right? All you have to do is read through First or 2 Samuel, and, and you know that that's not the case. You'll realize that David, he talked a lot about confidence, and he talked about his heart never giving way to fear, but in reality, his, his heart gave way to fear, just like all of us. He was not a perfect man. You guys know this. Uh, David was a man whom, uh, you know, we can learn a lot from him, But he was a man. And so as a man, he had the same sinful nature that you and I possess. And sometimes that got the best of him. There were times when David was overcome by discouragement. In fact, there was one time when he actually turned and said to his men, you know what, it's only a matter of time until Saul just kills me. Saul had been hunting him down. He said, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to run out of time. So I should just quit. I'm just going to give up on life. I wonder, have you ever felt like just giving up on life? There were times in David's life when when even his own men wanted to kill him. Um, In 1 Samuel 30, it says his men were so discouraged that they were talking about stoning him because their own families were in danger. And you can imagine how that made David feel as a leader, right? You're leading something, Davy, and your people want to stone you. Yeah, just as a man, like, how would that make you feel? Um, But then if you read on 1 Samuel 30, it says in verse 6, it says, But David found strength in the Lord his God. So as he goes on in verses 4 through 6 of this psalm, um, David's going to speak about one of the keys to confidence that that rises up in his heart. Um, It has to do with communion with the Lord. It has to do with relationship with God. This is one of the keys to his confidence. It has to do with being close to him. Uh, so look at verse four and following. It says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now remember, David's feeling threatened right now. Right? He thinks he's, he's maybe going to die. His enemies were rising up against him. So <clears throat> why is he saying this? Right? He knew this, this threat of danger was ever present. It wasn't, it wasn't going away. And yet he spoke these things. He said this is the one thing that he has asked of the Lord. Why would he say that? Why, why would he say, I just want to spend all my time in the presence of the Lord, just gazing upon your beauty? Well, he tells you in verse 5 says, for he, that's God, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. That's why I want to be in his presence, because it's there that I find shelter. It's there that I find safety and peace. And the rest of verse 5 says, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Being lifted high upon a rock, that's another term that, that speaks of a stable uh, a, a safe, firm foundation. It's the high ground, right, being lifted high upon a rock. Um, some of you probably played this game, King of the Hill. I remember when I was a kid at, at Cooper Elementary School in Fort Dodge, Iowa. You guys know Cooper Elementary. Um, anyway, in, in Iowa, it snows a ton every winter. Uh, would not recommend. And. They, they still have to, you know, we have to function, and so they, these uh, school parking lots, they come through with these giant plows to plow them out. And I loved the way that they did it, because it was like they just, it was almost like when you're raking leaves and you just make a, a leaf pile, but then you intend to like pick it up later. They scooped all the snow to one spot, but then they just left it there. And so all winter, until it melted, there was just a gigantic snow pile. Um, so you guys know where this is going. Uh, King of the Hill became our recess game in elementary school. And the thing is, uh, as I was thinking about this, I don't think anybody had to teach us how to play that game. Um, And I I think, in fact, our teachers probably really didn't like that we were playing that game because we were, like, hurling each other off of a 20-foot mountain of snow. Um, But my point is this. it, It came natural to us, right, that the one who remained on top of the hill, was the king or the queen of the hill, right? Whatever kid could stay up there. And that's because we knew intuitively that the high place is always the place of power. You can look down on your enemies, little fourth graders. Um, You don't want to be in a low place in time of war uh, because that's, that's when your enemy can pounce on you. Um, So it's being at the top of the hill, being a place high on a rock is about having the safest and most powerful vantage point. And when David uses that metaphor here, he's talking about um, how there's a stability and a strength and a confidence there. says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So these, these three verses, verses four through six, look at these again. There's some interesting things here that I think are important for you and I to see so that we can begin to understand the type of relationship that David had with the Lord. <clears throat> if you struggle uh, in the area of putting confidence in God, if you struggle with putting your hope in the Lord... Um, if your tendency is to jump out and do your own thing or to get discouraged or whatever the case may be, if that's you, this is what you have to understand. The key to David's confidence in seeking in the Lord is seeking the Lord. It's knowing God. That was the key to his confidence. It was worshiping King Jesus because he's our creator and our sustainer and our redeemer. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David just says, I want to be in his presence all the days of my life. That's all I care about. It was an overriding passion in his life to have a relationship with God and to be in his presence, to have a tightness or a closeness and intimacy with God. Christian, you will not grow in your confidence in God if you have a distant relationship with God. You can't have a long-distance relationship with the Lord and then snap your fingers and just feel like he's so perfectly near um, when things start to go south. It it just doesn't work. And I'm guessing you've seen that in your life. I've seen it in mine. Um, In those times of difficulty, we, we know, we realize, my relationship with the Lord isn't what it could be. What it should be. I haven't nurtured a closeness with the Lord like I should have. And now, in my time of need, it feels as though He's distant. He's not, but it feels like He's far off. You, know, you guys who know us, you know that Becca and I have been through some difficult things over the past few years. And in those times, I would say, to people that ask me how are you doing I would say oh I'm I'm just trusting God with the outcome (laughs) I'm drawing near to the Lord but then when I look back I was pretty quick actually to try to run off and to fix things my own way Um, I just I don't know maybe it's a guy problem or something but it was like I see a problem in front of me and I'm gonna try to figure out how to fix it Um, apart from trusting God really and and I think, had I been nurturing my relationship with Jesus in a way that I could have, growing in Christ, um, my, I think the outcomes could have been different. I think, I think I would have been able to wait on him a little bit better um, and, and instead of going off and trying to affect my own change. I think in those instances, a lot of times, my one thing wasn't you know, being in his presence, in relationship with him. I think my one thing was, you know, fill in the blank, whatever was consuming me. Um, But David said, one thing have I desired of you, Lord, that that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That word beauty caught my eye while I was studying this. Usually we, we have our own definitions of the word beauty, right? We might look at like Crater Lake or Silver Falls or something like that. There's, I'm doing Oregon examples because there's nothing beautiful in Iowa. Um, but <laughs> since I got out here, I know what beauty is now. Um, and I look at those things and I think, wow, that's beautiful, right? And they are, They're, they are beautiful. I, I think my wife and my daughter are beautiful and you're not going to tell me otherwise. Um, but I don't usually talk about the beauty of the Lord. So I think it's interesting that David used that word here. And, and the Greek word he used can, can also simply just mean good. It can just mean good. And, and the way that David speaks of the Lord here, this whole idea just captivates me. Uh, he's essentially saying, Lord, let, let me see your beauty. Let me see your goodness. Let me be just blown away by your beauty. See, David wants to be close to God. He, he wants to experience God with intimacy. I think that's a lesson for us. Uh, but then we get to verses 7 through 12, and like a lot of Psalms, there's this pattern, right? And, the, and you see some real earnest prayer to the Lord. Uh, and this is where some things begin to come out that reveal the full picture of this wrestling, um, <clears throat> what's really going on in David's mind. Verse 7 reads, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You'd think, uh, after reading what we read right before this, what David had written right before this, that he wouldn't have to say, Lord, hear me when I pray, or hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Um, Earlier in the psalm, you would just think that he's always confident, that God always heard him, um, because he was expressing faith, right? Remember, he made those assertions of faith. But now he's moving into a type of prayer called supplication. And supplication is basically the equivalent of pleading with God. You might even say begging. He says, God, now I'm really going to tell you what's going on inside my heart. There's turmoil in here. So I need you to hear me. Be gracious to me and hear me. Answer me. I wonder, maybe you've spoken to God like that before. I think you probably should. Um, please, Lord, don't turn a deaf ear to my pleading. And then look at verse Um, (laughs) 8. I love this. He he says, you have said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Did you guys see what David did there? Um, He is doing what my daughter, Lila, does to me. When... I tell her that she can't have a cupcake before bedtime, but she can have one the next day. Do you guys think she forgets? (laughs) Uh, No, 6 a.m. the next day. Hey, Dad, you said. Good morning, Dad. You said I could have a cupcake. Uh, You said that, Dad. You really did. That's how she would say it to you. You really did, Dad. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's that's how she would say it. what is Lila doing in that situation? She's holding me to my word, right? She's holding her father to her word. Um, Dad, you said you would do it, so do it. Um, and I have made the mistake of eating the last cupcake before, and then there's not one in the morning. Whoops. Um, okay, here's a cupcake. So uh, David here, he's essentially doing the same thing with his father. He's, he's holding God to his word. And do you guys know that God doesn't mind you doing that? Um, God delights to show himself faithful to his children, to, to prove himself faithful. There's examples of that all over Scripture. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me off, forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. I think the the most important question we can ask today as we look at this psalm is how can we be confident that God will fulfill his promises to us? Um, How can we be confident that he won't hide his face from us? That he won't cast us off or forsake us? How can we be confident that he is the God of our salvation? The answer came through one man on a cross. Um, Guys, it's It's the gospel. That's how we know that God will continue to fulfill his promises. It's the gospel, and it's not old news. It's something that we should be preaching to ourselves every day. It's the good news. Uh, Jesus Christ, having lived a sinless life, and then dying the death that we all deserve, is the fulfillment of all of God's promises from beginning to eternity. All the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Uh, like David, we can approach the Lord with security and certainty because he's been gracious to us and he will continue to be exactly who he says he is and do exactly what he said he will do. And we know that because he's proven it time and time again. Um, going on in Psalm Uh, 27, verses 10 and 11. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. So to understand this request, you you have to understand the significance of a level path in David's day at this time of writing. We live in an age of sidewalks and smooth surfaces, right? But David didn't. He lived in a day of rocky hillsides or roads or paths that were, that were difficult to traverse. Um, so the idea of walking on a level surface was something that was desired. You could go faster, there was less chance of, of injury. So he, he uses that as, as a, a metaphor in a sense but also legitimately, practically asking. He's saying, Lord, lay it out there for me so there's no stumbling, so that I can walk Freely as I seek your will, as I seek to go your direction on this path, take care of these obstacles for me. Lay out a level path. Now look back at the verse and and then bring the rest of it together. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. So, how does God give you a level path? Well, it says it. It says teaching you his way. David wrote uh, elsewhere in, in Psalm 86, um, 11. Uh, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. To fear your name, Lord, but not my enemies. Uh, so, how, how do we apply this to today? Well, how do we know the way of the Lord? How does He primarily teach us His way? He's given us His word, right? We can spend time reading and studying His word, the Bible. Um, that's, that's the primary way that we can know the way of the Lord. And then in verse 12, he, he finishes out this segment, kind of this middle part of the psalm, by saying, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So earlier in the psalm, remember, he mentioned his enemies, but there he was expressing faith. He was asserting that faith. Earlier he said, They come after me, but they're the ones that fall. He was laying down that foundation of faith. But now what he's doing is he's talking about his utter dependence on the Lord. He's telling him what's really going on in his heart. And he's saying, God, please don't give me up to their desires. Lord, do not turn me over to their will. Give me not up to them, Lord. That supplication we talked about. Um, but then, like most of David's psalms, he returns to a conclusion of faith statements to close it out with these last two verses, verse 13 and 14. Uh, verse 13 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So basically says, I believe that I'm going to make it, right? I will see your goodness and I will be alive to see it. Um, now, I know David didn't always feel this way, you know, if I had to guess. I, well, I know for sure. He, he wavered some. Um, and I know that because our, again, our human nature, our sinful nature leads us to look a lot of times to our feelings uh, rather than looking to God. All right? Do you know what I mean? You've, you've probably felt that before as you're sort of in your feelings. Um, says, you know, it, it, I might say to you, God loves you. Um, and you might say, well, right now it doesn't feel like God loves me. Or God hears your prayers. All right now it doesn't feel like God is hearing my prayers. Or I don't I I know it says that He'll never leave me or forsake me, but I don't feel that. I I feel left. I feel forsaken. Right? We kind of have this problem, really, of getting too into our feelings instead of looking to God. And and I don't want to discount your feelings or say that God is indifferent to them. That's not true. He He cares about your feelings. He does. Um, But. Not that you would exalt your feelings above faith. All right, that's the important thing here. Not that you would exalt them above believing in the truth of the gospel. Um, and that the truth of the gospel, you know, is that the battle has already been fought and won. All right, that story has been written and it's been sealed. So in those times, we have to remember that we can't always see the, the bigger picture of what's happening. We can't always see. Isaiah 55, 9, the Lord says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, when we walk through trials, we're walking through pain and and sorrow and suffering, and we're just waiting on the Lord, and we don't see the big picture. Uh, You know, we we rarely see that big picture. We can't know all that God is doing, and, and we're not supposed to in the moment. Um, but we got to remember this as we ask genuine questions, these questions that are the forefront of our minds and our hearts, and we're honest with God and we lament with him. It, it, it's, it's good. It's good that we do that and we ask those questions of God. Like we see it all throughout scripture. People in suffering ask God, why is this happening or how could you let this happen? Um, it's not wrong to ask those, but again, ask those questions with humility, with faith to trust that we don't see everything. We don't or won't know everything. And the God who does see and know everything is completely worthy of our trust. The God who does see and know everything is the king, and he's already made a way for death to be defeated. And the God who does know everything and does see everything, his name's Jesus. He has power over death itself, and he's proven it. So let's look at verse 14 to close this out. Um, I I love verse 14 because we circle back around, we get back to the main point of having confidence to wait on the Lord. Verse 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So what are we called to do? (laughs) Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord to move. Uh, that's the last important point for us in the, the, strength, the strengthening of our faith. It's, it's that we wait. It's that we let God do the work for us, and we don't try to work a deliverance of our own. The power of the Lord is found in this waiting. Remember how David began this whole psalm? He said, you are my salvation. And remember, that means God is, is, is our deliverer. It meant, God, you're my deliverer. Although I wanna try to play God a lot of times and try to work this thing out for myself, it's God and only God who can be my deliverance, who can be my true deliverer. As I was preparing uh, for today and thinking about this idea of God as our deliverance, I couldn't stop thinking about a line in the musical Hamilton. Uh, So if you guys uh, have Disney Plus, you may have seen Hamilton, or if you're like super rich, you may have seen Hamilton in person. Um, I couldn't stop thinking about this line. Be- Becca and I, since it came on to Disney Plus, we've watched it like 50 or 60 times, give or take. Um, and there's this, I'm not going to spoil too much here, but th- there's this key scene in the musical where Alexander Hamilton, the main character, he's about to basically ruin his personal life so that he can protect his political legacy. Uh, and, and he's going to write this paper called the Reynolds pamphlet. And it, it, was, it was probably a mistake to write that. Um, and, and what it did, it radically changed the trajectory of his life. And he, so he has this line in the musical right before he writes this letter, releases the pamphlet. And it sa- he says, And when my prayers to God were met with indifference, I picked up a pen, I wrote my own deliverance good line. It was really stupid, (laughs) but uh, it it was a good line. Uh, But it just, it made me think, how often do we do that in our own lives? How often do we say, you know what, things aren't working out for me the way that I think they should, so I'm going to make it right. I'm going to write my own deliverance. Where is God in the equation? Um, if you're a student in our ministry, in the NAVS, or you've had enough conversations with me, you've probably heard me talk about this truth, that, that every thought, every word, every action uh, that we take in life either brings us closer to God, or it takes us further away from God. And not, not in terms of salvation, not that we could lose our salvation, but but that uh, in terms of relationship, we're either moving closer to God or further from God in every instance, every second of every day. Uh, and, And that idea is very applicable here because the way that it works is every time we don't patiently wait on God's help or if we try to work this deliverance of our own, then at the next trial, our faith will continue to be weak. And then we'll have this very same problem of trying to write our own deliverance. And with every fresh trial then on that track, our faith will decrease. Then the contrary though is that if we stand firm, if we wait in order to see the deliverance of God and trust in him alone, our faith will increase. Uh, In James 1, there's this great passage. He said, James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It can go one way or the other um, with every fresh trial. If we wait on the Lord and place our confidence in him alone, that's that's part of the sanctification process. Um, That's that's part of life in Christ on this earth. Uh, Every time that you see the hand of God stretched out on behalf of you, the hour of trial, your faith can be increased. That's how you grow in confidence in the Lord, like David. You wait on Him and you trust Him, and you see what He does. Let's pray, Sovereign Lord. We we need Your help to do this. Um, it. Uh, It's so obvious to us in these moments of stress and anxiety and not knowing what to do or what the future holds um, that we're just totally lost and helpless apart from you. God, I pray that um, that thinking, that knowledge, would lead us to a dependence on you like we haven't had before. I pray that. For the people in this room i pray that for myself for the people watching on their live stream at home Uh, god that we don't know what's going to happen with the world right now with coronavirus with other things going on um and even before that god even before life was kind of uprooted um we, we still, we confess that we, we so often, I so often, try to set out and do things my way. Lord, we don't want that. Um, help us to trust in you fully every day. Um, God, I, I pray that the gospel would advance to the ends of the earth through the people in this room. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: We, we enter into a time of response, um, a, a time to truly sit in the words that were spoken. Um, as we do wait on the Lord, we rejoice that God always shows up. And also we saw how God showed up in the most magnificent way of sending his son to this earth to die the death that we deserved, that we may have life through him. And so we, we enter into a time as we head to the Lord's table uh, where we truly get to rejoice and thank Jesus for his body broken and his blood spilled. Um, and prior to that, that, we want to spend time truly reflecting on, on what God has done in our life. And even as, as Nate shared, many of the ways in which we probably struggle or, or question how God is moving, what he's actually doing. And, and Paul calls us in 1 Corinthians to truly examine ourselves. He calls us to be introspective and to be introspective really of this last week from the Lord's Supper last week to the Lord's Supper this week, to think, to acknowledge our shortcomings and to lay them at the foot of the cross, rejoicing that ultimately we can consume Christ's body and blood as we look to him and him alone, because he is the one that truly frees us from condemnation. And some of you guys join me as we pray a prayer of confession corporately. To recognize truly our our shortcomings, and yet how in the midst of our shortcomings, Christ is the one that actually lifts us up to that high place. Join me in prayer. And, and as I conclude this prayer, we're gonna spend a, t- a time in silence, to have our own personal reflection, our personal confession, uh, prior to an assurance of, of pardon as we look to the scriptures. So, Father God, we come before you admitting. That when we proclaim your words, hide not your face from us. That we are the ones that are so prone to hide our faces from you. Out of embarrassment and shame, we hide from you when we sin. We're so quick to follow the example of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and are ashamed of our sinful nakedness. And not only do we hide from you, we hide from others. Lord, we fear being fully known, and therefore we put on these facades to look the part, to be deemed attractive and worthy of love. We confess that we proclaim the gospel of grace outwardly, and yet inwardly we are striving to just be good enough and are trying to earn your love and affection through any means necessary. Lord, we have amnesia as we forget who we are. We struggle to believe we are who you say we are. We pray that you free us from the chains and shackles that are so often self-imposed. We have bought into the lies of the world and it suffocates us. So please fill us with your breath. And we have bought into the images of our culture that tells us to pursue only to be blinded by it. So, Lord God, remove the cataracts from our eyes that we may see who we are clearly. Lord, it is you who have defined us. You who have given us identity. You have given us meaning and purpose. Help us see that clearly and wholeheartedly embrace that. Now, God, as we enter into this moment of silence, uh, convict us, Lord, of of the things this week in which we've fallen short, that we may come to you knowing that you are the God that pardons our sin.